0: This is the Bainwell Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we are seeing the disciples utilize their healing power and then process what happened.
1: Fourth episode of season number three of The Chosen. Should be another fun journey. I don't have a whole lot of frustrating notes in this episode, I don't think. Maybe we'll find something. I think (laughs) it was a pretty fun episode.
0: Well, this is the first time they've done a two-part episode. Yeah. So it's about two hours total almost and we are recording these together watched them together so hopefully that will bring to light some things yeah and so i don't know we'll see if it makes a difference at all but just a note that uh it is like a a big chunk of story that they are spreading across two episodes so sure yep well spoiler horn then marty indeed hit it So it actually starts interesting from, even from the studio logos, which appear in black and white, and then the entire opening section is in black and white. Uh, we see John and Thomas heal a blind woman to start, and then Andrew's preaching, and Philip is entertaining small children, which I loved. Uh, Thaddeus and Nathaniel are preaching and healing, we see Peter and Judas happen upon a bird sacrifice thing going on. And I'm wondering if that's maybe the reason they did that whole thing in black and white, just because it makes it easier to, I mean, I guess they're not, they didn't show this one in theaters, right? So it didn't have to get rated or anything. So I don't know, but a lot of times they'll do that kind of thing where they'll either desaturate or, or just make black and white just because, uh, the color of blood is part of like the rating system,
1: oh really, no, oh, I did not know that, but very interesting, but yeah, a little pagan omen ritual there, yeah,
0: hmm uh, we see little James heal someone who I guess has a bad leg or something, I'm not exactly sure what was going on there, but little James heals him, uh Matthew casts a demon out of a man who is being restrained by Z. <laughs> Which, I mean, that was kind of funny. Good, I guess, in the end. I don't know.
1: Fitting fitting if nothing else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some dialogue that comes in for a moment as the disciples are teaching all of these people the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we see Andrew and Philip uh, seem to be carried away, kicked out of wherever they were at. I don't know. There's not a lot of detail of what happened there. I think they were just kind of like, yeah, we don't want you guys here anymore kind of thing. Um, and then... There's a whole bunch more healings. It's just a big montage of healings. So
1: I did. I did appreciate the teaching of the Lord's Prayer portion when I first watched uh, season three, the first go around with my family. Um, I had not read Andrew Decourt's book, which we talked about in the last interview of session six. Um, we talked about his book, Flourishing on the Edge of Faith. In that episode, anybody that's been following along has recently heard us do that not too long ago.
0: Yeah, episode 332, so just a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, there you go. And and so when I, then when I watched it through the second time, having read that, um, having thought about the Lord's Prayer in a totally new way. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, they're teaching people how to pray. Lord's Prayer, yeah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And this time I was like, oh, man, actually, teaching people how to pray this prayer could be just so central to teaching people how to live and walk and move within the kingdom of God and totally had a brand new appreciation for, for that. So really, really appreciated that this go around.
0: Well, and I even think back to last episode where, where that synagogue leader was asking like, what, uh, why did you stop before you got to the vengeance part? Sure. And he's like, it's not about vengeance now. It's not about, yep. I feel, I can't remember if they use the word violence or not, but yep. Yeah, it it definitely fits in with that. Yep. But that uh, that scene takes us into the credits at that point. So then we're in a in a the synagogue. I guess I don't know if I should say the synagogue, but the one I think that we see most often. Uh, a teacher is reading from Leviticus 15, which you can.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a rabbi again. He gets called rabbi, and I think back to I think it was the last episode where we were discussing you know typical synagogue service as I understand it and historically. And I made the case like, oh, you know, I was giving it the benefit of the doubt because oh, it was a holiday reading, so the rabbi could be leading that. But typically rabbis did not lead. And that one seems to be a synagogue service, and they have the rabbi leading again. And my understanding is there's a very clean uh, distinction historically. Like rabbis did not lead the synagogue service. So that that was a communal-led thing. Like if anything, the synagogue ruler facilitates the worship But the rabbis can do all kinds of stuff all throughout the week in the synagogue. They can lead classes, do bet, suffer, like all the things. But the actual practice of synagogue assembly is a communal practice of which there are no clergy, no leaders. And I I know for me, when I was taught, that was a very clear and distinct line that was drawn. So um feels like they, they see it, and that could be, de- I'm sure that's probably debated, so there's probably people that, that see it historically differently, but um, they definitely seem to be putting rabbis in that role in synagogue.
0: Well, I'm assuming this is not the last time we're going to see a synagogue, and I'm still ready to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one, because I can imagine a synagogue leader coming up to a rabbi, and we've never seen this guy before, so it's like he just happens to be in the area, and the synagogue leader comes up to him and says, uh, you know what nobody signed up for Leviticus 15 shocker can you help us out do huh. the reading this week
1: <laughs> you know I didn't even consider the content itself uh, not that it would make us you know make a difference in the reading assignments but I appreciate that that uh, tossing <laughs> that that way uh,
0: I do wonder if uh, if the fact that they're reading Leviticus 15 Dates this episode at a particular time of the year that would work or not work. I hadn't thought about that until this certainly very would. moment.
1: Yeah, that would absolutely be a parasha section. So you would be able to know exactly. And it's going to be halfway through Torah. So it should, it would place this, you know, springtime. I don't know how long their little mission trip was. It could have been a couple months. I don't know. I, we're not told. I don't think so. Yeah.
0: But that would put it middle of spring. Well, and that's what I'm wondering if, if we know anything from the text about when this. Happened because this is going to be around the time of Sure uh, Jairus and the woman with Sure yep So yeah I don't know uh, They might have just chosen Leviticus 15 for dramatic effect Sure um, <laughs> Zebedee is uh, a little concerned that James and John are too focused In this synagogue service Apparently they're normally a little more wily And uh, So they, they insist that nothing's going on But he's like I'm watching you guys I don't know if that ever played out in any other way. Not, I mean, other than I don't don't think anything ever came of that. Other than Big
1: James's awkwardness over these two episodes, or maybe just this episode that's going to be dealt with a few times. I don't think necessarily anything else came out of that. But I don't. Yeah, I definitely see something going on with James for sure.
0: So then there's some kind of disturbance outside. Yusuf leaves to investigate. Uh, There's some people drawing water, and the water is decidedly not good. Um, I don't know. A sewage pipe broke, basically. Uh, The Romans want the people of the synagogue to bring the supplies for it. Uh, First, they actually say like, why don't you get some of those people who are in there to come out here and start working on it? And like, well, we're worshiping right now. And they don't really grasp that, but uh, they eventually come to an agreement where the people of the synagogue will pay for the supplies because if they wait for supplies from Rome, then it's going to be weeks and weeks before anything arrives. So they kind of some come to some kind of little agreement there, which, I don't know, seemed like a little bit of a tense situation, but maybe realistic to the realities of life. You know, the
1: one situation that I'm sure that there's, like the writers have chosen... Or, or feel like they've been cornered into—I feel like there's an obvious connection they never made. And at this point, I feel like it's probably too late to make, according to the gospel record. But, like, the we're talking about the Capernaum is where we're at. So Capernaum will be the—I mean, that synagogue is the one that was built by a centurion. Like, we're told that a, a Roman centurion— Um in the gospels, they come to Jesus. They said this Roman loves loves God's people. And obviously Gaius fits that mold. Like he's definitely, he's exactly the character that I would have created for that. And they still may make some of those parallels, but they have not. And they did not in this episode make the parallel that Gaius built this synagogue. I thought they were going to have him fund the repairs. Like that seemed obvious to me. And instead they had You know, Yusuf have family connections to a quarry, but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I I just keep (laughs)
0: expecting them to make the the Gaius connection, but not not just family connections. His family owns the quarry and a brick factory. Yep, yep. So, kind of, I wonder. That makes me wonder, like, why Yusuf is where he is. Sure. Well,
1: a lot of people,
0: particular,
1: yeah, a lot of people have made the case that the reason that a lot of Pharisees got to where they were is they were families of means. They often were connected to wealth to what enabled them to study to the extent they were able to study and do what they did. We see that kind of with Nicodemus. Like they're not showing any poor Pharisees, I'll put it that way. Um, the Pharisees. And that's I mean, that there's some historical it makes sense. There's some historical logic to that. So I didn't mind that that connection. I just have wondered why they didn't draw a Gaius connection. Maybe it does too much with Gaius's character. Maybe it would be He'd be too connected. Like right now, he still has a certain element of aloofness. And maybe if you have him being the one who funded the synagogue, it, it breaks that down. Or I'm not the expert in screenwriting, but I've been surprised that was not their, their play.
0: Yeah, I could still see it happening in the future to some extent. Like maybe he comes in and says like, oh, I'd, I'd love to, you know, give you guys an upgrade or something. I don't know, because... That that aloofness is breaking down uh, as we go through this episode and I think throughout the rest of the season. So yeah, I don't know. But yeah, with Yusuf, I just wonder like his family being down in the Jerusalem area, if he like diverted from his family and beliefs a little bit and came up to the Galilee.
1: I would not assume so. I don't think you would assume that. I I would think that that's actually what enabled him to become what he is.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And then he's in Capernaum because of the elite nature of the location.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then we're with uh Jairus in the synagogue. Yusuf is trying to get some parchment. Um Jairus shares with him that he's received a request for details about the Sermon on the Mount, and that request has come from Shmuel and is signed by Shammai. And uh, Jairus does eventually read what Yusuf wrote, or did eventually read what Yusuf wrote. He's been comparing it to Torah, he's really impressed. He sees light in the words of Jesus. Uh, he thinks that maybe Torah has been misunderstood.
1: I liked his, his quote there. Torah has described uh, who this messiah character is. It's dogma and tradition that have made us you know, expect a military figure. And while I'm not a huge fan of um, drawing the idea that they're expecting a military figure or that's what Judaism was waiting for, I do love the distinction between Torah and dogma and tradition. I love that on a historical level. I love it even more. If we were to think about applying that to our own world, I did like that line a lot. That was well
0: spoken. Yeah. So, um, Jairus and Yusuf agree that they're going to submit a diluted account about what happened and, um, and go from there.
1: I also have a note in that scene about like the, I love the element of like he begins to grill Yusuf and, and Yusuf has like this, um, I don't know if that's what I was saying. Like, I know I wrote that, but I was reeling and I was emotional and like, I can't tell if he's trying to like hedge his bets and protect himself or if he's really like questioning or drifting further away of his faith and belief, but it's Jairus who ends up like stoking those fires. And I love just the picture of community encouraging belief. Like what if Yusuf would have been on his own Without Jairus in the picture, he may have drifted. He may have talked himself out of. And yet it's this communal aspect of, no, you've got to believe in this. Like this, how we encourage each other's faith. And I really liked how that played between Yusuf and Jairus throughout this whole episode and the next.
0: My impression of that was that more of a hedge situation. Because Jairus is so new. He's been to all these different places. He's known for his efficiency and like, if he if he decides, like, oh, Yusuf is, you know, veering off the path, like, yeah. Yusuf's done. Yep. So I, I feel like that's a hedge. But, I mean, uh, there has to be some internal wrestling as well, sure. I would think. Right. Yeah. Especially because he said, Jairus said that he held on to that letter for a month before he actually cracked it open and read it. Right. So it's it's been a little bit of time at least. So, like, Yusuf has had plenty of time. Yep to wander through those thoughts without, you know, anybody yep. else to process. So I could totally imagine it being a little bit of both going on there. Sure. Oh, and I was also going to say like that. That's part of what I wonder about, like the military figure thing, because the way we've talked about the triumphal entry before, was that in the Mark episode? so where we did that? Mm-hmm. Or no, um, there's a separate episode at the end of session three that specifically covered. Yeah, it
1: is. Statement of triumph. Uh,
0: yes. Episode 124. So the way we've talked about that, like, Jesus, the way Jesus came into the city, um, made a particular statement about what kind of sure. figure he was. Yep. And I wonder if Yusuf being from a family who's from Jerusalem, if they have more of that kind of view. And so maybe that, like, maybe Jairus is aware of that. And he's saying like, yeah, I think, you know, what your perspective is or what your community's perspective is, is not quite accurate. Sure. And here's why I'm seeing that in these things. So either way, I love that. He's just like, okay, I'm not just going to make a snap judgment. I'm going to dig into Torah and I'm going to see like, okay, what does it actually say? Yep. What did Jesus actually say? How do they compare? good work on that digging into the text it's always in the text
1: that's right
0: uh so then we do see a long line for water at a well um they've got the crossbar things over their shoulders carrying a couple of buckets you know everybody's having to go out to this place to get their water uh, since all the stuff in the city is no good Uh, then we jump over to simon surprising eden at home um She's made some changes to the house and he does not notice the changes. And okay, so then they're talking about some schedules for the day. And for the next day, Eden seems to be struggling to share something, but she never does actually share it. Uh, Then she goes to leave and meets a woman from Caesarea Philippi, uh, who we later learn is Veronica. Uh, She's offering to wash clothes for Eden. And Eden's like, well, I don't know. And they talk about that. They decide they're going to go find their water together. And uh, the woman says she has a, a good spot where there's no line and, and nobody to bother them. And then we're back with uh, Jairus arriving at his home. He's looking for a scroll. His wife and his daughter are cooking. N- uh, Neely, the daughter collapses as she's uh, measuring out some ingredients. So we're starting to see what's going on there. A lot, of
1: angst in this, a lot of angst in this episode. Like, I can see some stories coming, and I kind of know what's coming, and, but then it happens, and doesn't resolve itself right away. I can remember as we start seeing in this episode, like, this, this kind of lengthy Season 3 journey of Eden, her struggles. But at, at this point, we don't know where they're coming from or what they are. I remember my daughter being like, I want to know what her problem is. Like you just said, like this was an episode of like setting up all of these plot tensions. And uh, there was a lot of that in this episode.
0: Yeah. I kind of expected, like once we knew about Jairus, I kind of expected him to come home at that point And sure. Like his daughter's already sick. Like yep. she's just been sick a long time. And yep. I don't know. So um, yeah, when, when he arrived and, and she's just there, I was like, is, is that the daughter? Like what's going on here? So then we're back with Eden and Veronica. They're getting to know each other. They arrive at the spring. Uh, Veronica starts to wash some clothes and then Eden, Eden notices all the blood and is like a little concerned. And, and again, with the tension, like that's the end of that little scene where Eden notices the blood. It's like, okay, well, how's Eden going to respond to this? What is she going to do? Like, is she going to run away from Veronica or whatever? We don't, we don't know that yet. Um, Then we jump to Tamar and Mary at Matthew's home. Uh, Tamar is very unimpressed with the furnishings, like the table's too old, you know, all the decorations, whatever, are are just no good. She's like, I don't know how we're going to sell this stuff because it's all old and weird. And Mary's like, well, you could still sell your jewelry, and Tamar resists that. They argue about that quite a bit. Um, Kind of unresolved as Zebedee arrives at the house, has them try some olive oil, Mary is very polite about that um but Tamara runs out of the house and spits it out um and I guess she has uh experience with olive oil I love I love the uh I love the skepticism of, of Mary because Tamara's like oh I'm from this family and we have all this stuff and the olive trees originated in Ethiopia and Mary's like did they yeah and Tamara like doesn't even skip a beat she just goes on yeah I- she's like well I've got an idea of how we could use Joanna's gift we're going to make some better olive oil to this thing but there's you know there's plenty of like i mean i don't know does anybody know where an olive tree originated is that even possible to figure out
1: uh i want to say Yehuda's talked about that on the bus as we've ridden on the bus where the olive tree came from and no it wasn't the olive tree it was the dates it was the palm dates that's what it was I don't know if he's ever talked about where the olive tree originated. Who knows? It's a good question. I do find the, so this, this is like stage two. They've now ramped up the relational tension between Mary and Tamar from when they were together with Rayma uh, an episode or two ago. Like this time it, it, it goes up to, it goes up a level. They're even more exact, like just frustrated with each other. It's more blatant. It's more, it's even awkward, but I think in a good way, like. As far as the writers of the episode, like it's really not overdone in an awkward way, but like it is pulling me into this, like Tamara's so... I don't like I don't even mean this in a condemning way, but the character is coming off as so worldly. She knows all the wealthy stuff. She's got this background. Mary's coming off as super defensive and and just kind of like whatever. Like and like you said, very skeptical. Like that's building for I mean, there'll be a payoff on that later. But man, that episode, I was like, they got to have this thing out. Let's get, let's get back to that conversation. Cause I got to figure out what they're going to do with this.
0: Yeah. Mary accuses her of having like pagan beliefs and.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. So direct. Yeah.
0: Animism and all sorts of like, <laughs> like there's no bunches pulled. If Zebedee had not shown up at that point, like, yep. Who knows what could have happened? Yep. Uh, so then we were back with the disciples and they are sharing stories from their journey. And, uh. I I love this. I love this scene and like trying to sort out what, what it is that happened, what they've done. Uh, we, we do see Simon, he's trying to help Eden and she's just kind of short with him at this point. And, uh, John makes a comment that James is mad because Jesus called John beloved once. (laughs) And I'm like, I love the idea that Jesus said that one time and then John worked it into his gospel so hard at every turn. (laughs) Uh, so then big James is, he, you know, he says like, he's frustrated because they have this power, but they don't actually have any understanding of what's going on. And, uh, you know, there's lots of discussion there. Andrew notices Eden, uh, doesn't seem to be well. He asks her, she kind of shrugs him off. He asks Simon, he shrugs him off. So, uh, again, more, more tension building.
1: Yeah, I did. I was like you. I really liked the content of that conversation with the disciples. Two, two, two comments that rose into my notes. Um, one was the conversation about there, you know, he gave us power without any understanding. And they have this conversation about, you know, there's no, he didn't, he doesn't require understanding of us. I thought that was a point well spoken. I think in the Western world, I think as listeners of Bema and people students of context, I think we feel like we can be deceived sometimes into thinking that understanding comes first and that's why we're called or that's why we're empowered or then it's, it's not, it's the other way around. Um, I think there's a comment later about power. I felt powerful um, and that made me feel awkward. James is obviously really struggling with what he experienced on the big James is on the, on the mission trip there. Um, and Andrew says, you know, it I didn't bother me. I, I had the same feeling; it didn't bother me. And there, and and then, and then Philip has this. But isn't that? Isn't there a, an inherent danger in us feeling? Pa- I just like that whole. Yeah, it was a great, you know, it, them, you know, discussing wrestling with all the things that, in a lot of different kinds of ways, we experience as well.
0: Yeah, and I think even in the, in the montage, you see some of these elements where. Yeah. Like they heal somebody and the, the person is just excited and their family or their friends are celebrating with them and they're just like, they cannot believe. Yep. And, and then you see the disciples and they're, they're also like, I can't believe, but also like relief that it actually worked kind of thing. Like they weren't even sure when they went out. Yep. They're like, we, we don't understand how this works. Like, what if it doesn't work for us for some reason? Right. So, yeah, lots of, lots of conflicting emotions for sure. Yep. So then we see Zebedee sell his boat. Yeah. Which that feels big. Yep. Um, but, you know, we already know he's doing this olive oil thing, so it's not like a total surprise. But he just goes and sells the boat. Then we're back with Veronica and Eden. They're washing together again. So I guess Eden didn't run away on her. Uh, Veronica noticed that Eden seems to have a crowd at her house because she's come back with all this stuff. And uh, Eden is shocked to hear that Veronica has been bleeding for 12 years. Um, And Veronica says she's tried many things, but that she hasn't completely lost hope, which is kind of amazing. Like totally, I, I think would make sense with, the fact that she's willing to go to Jesus.
1: Yep, the faith, the faith element of that. This was the scene where I picked up she was from Caesarea Philippi. I don't know if it was mentioned earlier or not, but it's where it made it into my notes. And I just love that. Like literally three years ago, I would not have known that. Like I would have been like, well, that's a crazy place to pick. I would have probably sat here on this commentary and talked about how stupid of an idea that was. And it was just, it was less than three years ago when I discovered that there's multiple church traditions. And we just have, we just found a huge archaeological find at Caesarea Philippi. That's now a main part of my teaching. But just three years ago, I wouldn't have known that. And it would have seemed like such an so, So here's just an example of all the things that I throw out, and you know, critically and say, "Ah, I don't think that who knows about all the stuff that I don't even know and all the things that I haven't even learned yet today, because that would have been one of them just three years ago. But I love that they that they made that a point. It's so historically accurate Four different early church historians talk about how the woman uh, with the issue of bleeding was from Caesarea Philippi. They talk about how there's a statue of her in Caesarea Philippi kind of later in history. Like uh, maybe a maybe a few centuries after jesus and then there is according to those historians a, a non-believing ruler that comes through and 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 smashes that statue into bits and and the historians say that the christians gather the pieces of her statue and they put them in a reliquary in one of the churches in in the church in Caesarea Philippi and we just recently uncovered um, some juicy little tidbits there. I don't want to ruin too many experiences, but we've uncovered stuff that shows that there is historicity behind that, and um, just love it, just love it, love it. Now I'm nerding out about a thing I would have critiqued three years ago as idiotic. I'm now like so
0: good. Well, it's good to see the growth, Marty. I love it. Oh, uh, may that be true of all of us. I I hope so. We uh, yeah, we got to have the hope, just like she does. I think. Ooh, snap. Good. <laughs> So then uh, we have Jairus uh, giving instructions to someone in the synagogue. Yusuf comes in. Uh, he shares that the, the doctor thinks Neely is sick because of the water and is asking for like some way to get some fresh supplies for her. And Yusuf thinks Jairus should discontinue his investigation of Jesus. He's like, maybe, maybe this was a bad idea to get into this. Maybe this is like... Like he asks, I think Jairus asked, like, am, am I being punished because I'm right? Yep, like starting to lean this way or whatever?
1: Which I had never thought of until I heard that line in the episode. I'm like, man, I wonder how many different things could have been a part of his story that made him, you know, where does his belief come from? When did it start? Would this tragedy have impacted? Because that's that's very human. Like, is this a result? Am I being punished? It's a very human impulse. But then his response You know, you know, Yusuf kind of says, yeah, and if that's true, it's all my fault. And his answer is, but I really can't, I can't unbelieve this. Like, I believe this because I believe it. And I thought, man, that that is a great description of faith. And I thought, you know, in my notes, I said, it's instructive for us because we make faith so easily, even when we know better about mental assent to an abstract conceptual idea. And when you see these characters, you realize in their stories and in their world, faith is not just, oh, yeah, this is what I think in my brain belief. It's I've wrestled with this and I've seen this. I have processed things in my brain, but it is translating into a flesh and blood. This is what I believe with my life and my walk. And I thought that was uh, an instructive little scene there.
0: Yeah. So then we jump over to Shmuel in some sort of synagogue or something. Sanhedrin. And... They're in front of the Sanhedrin, I believe. Yeah, uh, and and it would it, it wouldn't be a synagogue then, or what? Like what would they call that place?
1: No, they would have had. uh Yeah, they would have had an actual meeting, judicial meeting place, uh, a hall of meeting. I don't know if it did happen in a synagogue. I don't believe it did. I've never heard that before. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm if it did. I'm, I'm wrong about that, but I don't believe that's what that is. No, I think that is the. I think the Sanhedrin had their own. In fact, I'm trying to think. Oh, it, did the Sanhedrin meet in the place that is now under Jerusalem, and now the Jerusalem like has a police station, or the Secret Service has their station down there? <laughs> i I, I want to <laughs> say I could be wrong about that. It might be Herod's palace, I'm thinking of, mm. but somewhere somewhere under I believe they do know where the Sanhedrin met. And I don't believe it's a synagogue.
0: well, either way, there's you know, there's a big crowd there. Shammai moves up to the podium and he uh, wants to make this decree on false okay. prophecy. Uh, his focus seems to be on the Son of Man language from Daniel if anyone is using that language. And the decision is unanimous, and he says the the said that's, that's great The the high priest will adjudicate any unrepentant offenders
1: and there was a reference there to shmicha if you caught it anybody that's teaching something that doesn't come from the accepted teaching of other rabbis and so i definitely heard that as a reference to this informal shmicha that we've talked about this authority that comes from the system itself
0: i did not catch that so i'm glad you did yeah um but there's, you know, all this celebration, and uh, the guy who's with Shmuel is like, hey, man, we did it. We won the day. And Schmuel is like, yeah, but now nothing's happening. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, but now there's this decree in place. And, and he's like, well, what good is the decree? It's like, well, it's almost a law. It's like, yeah, but then what? Right. <laughs> like, nobody. Nothing's happening. There's no immediate action from this decree. And so Shmuel is, you know, he kind of got what he wanted, but then he didn't really understand how the system works. And so he's actually pretty disappointed at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, Shmuel Shmuel has a thing about Jesus, the person, and everybody else has an ideology, like an ideological war to win. And so for them, they've, they've won, they've decided together. There's consent. It's, you, you know, it's this consent that they're on the winning team. And for Shmuel, that that needs to have practical legs.
0: Yeah, so um, then we jump back to Simon and Eden. Uh, They're lying in bed, both awake, which we as the audience know, but they do not know. And uh, Simon seems to be struggling to understand what's going on with Eden. He's, you know, run out of ideas on what to say or how to approach her or whatever. Uh, Then we see Veronica delivering some clothing to a man in a tent. And then he notices blood running down her feet and just like shouts out that she is unclean, tells her to get away. She shouldn't even be in the street. Very like, yeah, I I can, I can imagine that is definitely the approach for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, that was a a gut-wrenching scene because you can just, they've, they've done that well. You could just feel the shame and the rejection and just all the, Ugh, she had to have felt in that moment.
0: Yeah. And even after twelve years, she can't always control or understand when that's gonna happen. And so it caught her off guard and she's just like, uh, oh. Yep. And and he's not giving any mercy at all. And so she's you know, she runs away terrified. So then we're, we're back with Simon and Eden again. Um, Simon's trying to talk to her. She's not sharing anything. She goes to leave the house, and as she opens the door, Jesus is at the door with basically everybody. They all come filing in. Simon gets upset because he knows that, like, this is a burden on Eden and something's bothering her. He doesn't know what it is, but he knows that it's like, it's like this is too much. My house has become this thing, and... And Jesus doesn't know what's going on yet. And he's like, well, can't, um, why can't we use a house for more than one thing? Which is, I think, what you would normally expect in uh, in their culture. Like, this. the houses that they have are going to be utilized to their fullest extent. So,
1: And Eden almost has this. And, you know, she's not doing well. And yet she, you can almost feel... His reaction brings her shame, I think, because of the cultural element you're playing into there when you when you say that. And I mean, my notes on this scene, if I'm honest, is I like (laughs) I was siding emotionally with Peter because that's my personality. Like I I'm an introvert. I like my space. I'm a Western Hellenistic Carodian. Like I would not want people to just come to my house and a crowd outside my door. I'd be freaking out. And that's my culture, not the biblical culture. But even still, I found myself reflecting on, like, I'm always okay with Jesus because I think Jesus is always going to, like, do life the way that I would do life. And yet in this scene, I'm confronted with, if Jesus came in, like, I was arguing with Jesus in my head. I'm like, Jesus, that's not the right (laughs) thing to say to Peter. And I'm like... Wait, Marty, Jesus is Lord Um, like this (laughs) if he wants to use my house. And yeah, I'm like wanting Jesus to like adhere to my social sensibilities. So I I found that to be a good gut punch moment personally.
0: Well, and, you know, Eden is the one who wants to leave the house to get out of talking to Simon. But then when they arrive, she immediately pivots into host mode. So she never actually leaves. And then Simon does leave. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's true, which yeah. I feel like
0: I, uh, once again, like Simon and Eden, I, I feel like that exact thing almost has played out, um, in my marriage and in my house, <laughs> uh, too too real Marty. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so then Simon's wandering the streets and he, uh, I mean, I say he, he doesn't meet with guys. He runs into guys, I guess, yep. uh, by the cistern and they, they start talking and they, they each seem to think that the other person's community is responsible to fix the, the, the broken cistern and guy sits down and offers Simon a drink. Um, Simon declines and he's like, why do you guys have all these rules? This is all ridiculous. And, uh, you know, guys wants to know why Jesus doesn't just, he's like, I've heard about all these miracles. Why doesn't Jesus just fix the cistern? Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is somewhat of a valid question. Um, although we haven't seen anybody ask Jesus. So I feel like that's part of it too. Um, but they they do relate in, uh, you know, Simon sharing like, oh, I'm frustrated with Jesus right now. And guys is like, yeah, I can understand not wanting to talk to your boss. I'm kind of in that boat right now myself. And guys has all these questions about Jesus and Matthew and whatever. And Simon eventually shares that he doesn't really want to be at home even, And Gaius is like, well, I know something we could do. In the meantime, we can work on the cistern together. I'll I'll oversee the project, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, which was wonderful. And then uh, Gaius, um, this whole time, this whole scene, Simon's been tying knots in in a rope. And uh, Gaius grabs the rope and ties some other knot that Simon isn't familiar with. And Simon's very impressed by this and finds out that uh, Gaius has this background of uh sailing and his family and so you know they kind of bond a little bit over that idea and then as he is leaving Gaius turns and gives Simon some advice on how to how to make things right with Eden um which is a a fun it's like what is what is Simon gonna do
1: yeah (laughs) when this scene started I thought oh man they're bringing a Roman and this uh, this this triangle Orthodox Jew together, and I just thought this is not going to work. They're going to screw this up. And then they kept maintaining just enough of that historical distance. You know, I can't drink out of your canteen. Um, uh, I mean, that, this whole thing is going to continue into the next episode as well. But they maintained enough of those elements that I it was it was believable and made this really um, enjoyable part of the storyline for me palatable. So I I, I thought it was going to be bad. It ended up being. Uh, decently done.
0: Yeah, I think it was this scene uh where Gaius is insisting that Simon refer to him as Preemie. I think Simon said officer, and he got corrected. Yeah. On that. So there's like, yeah. like hey, I know we're talking, but let's remember, you know, yep. what our positions are. Yep. So yeah. So then we're back with uh Jairus's wife. She's sitting down uh to have a drink of something and Uh, I think we find out later that her name is Mikal I think it's in the next episode where we See that but um, she She realizes that uh, Nobody has checked on Neely in a little while And so she goes into the room And then she screams uh, And calls Jairus um, As she goes in there Because something has uh, We don't know what has happened at this point It seems like I don't know I don't know. I think when I first saw this, I thought she was dead at that point.
1: Yeah, I, I probably would have assumed that, too. So and she's pretty darn close as as everything's going to play out. But yeah, uh, and that's when the credits roll.
0: That's that's it for this episode. This little two parter, little two parter, two hours. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we'll just close it down for now and uh, come back next week to to finish out this mini storyline sounds like a plan all right well you can go to bama to find the show notes uh those episodes that we linked if you want to look back on those previous conversations uh, or catch up on anything you might have missed um lots of other stuff on the website as far as how to get in touch what events are going on how to get into a group all of that stuff is there Uh, so thanks for joining us on the bama podcast this week we'll talk to you again soon